the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Our strength is in the Lord. And I want to emphasize that because he begins this section in verse 10 saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why is this important to point out? Because, listen, the moment you think that you have the power to fight spiritual forces of evil is the moment you're going to be defeated, okay? The only strength and the only power we have is in the Lord. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. Today, Pastor Gary talks about spiritual warfare and how relevant it is in our world. Our society is all about confidence and positivity, which is great. But when you recognize that you're nothing without God, it puts things into perspective. Pastor Gary speaks of the spiritual realm and how angels and demons are constantly at war for us. When we don't see things around us, it's easy to forget that they're even there. When you fight a battle against someone who outranks you, however, it makes it hard to forget. Pay attention to the details in your daily life. The devil is always on the prowl for your attention and destruction, and only God can fight on your behalf. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It is the fifth commandment among the ten commandments. It is commandment number five. And in Exodus 20 verse 12, where that commandment is listed, it is the first commandment that ends with a promise. It speaks there in Exodus twenty twelve, and Paul kind of summarizes it there in verse 3 here of Ephesians 6, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That God promises as part of a child's respect of authority and obedience to parents that uh, it will lengthen their lives. So it's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, understand the culture in, in which Paul is writing. This is first century. This is Roman Empire. And he's going to add now in verse 4 an exhortation to fathers in particular. I think this, this would apply to moms and dads in general, but specifically he's referring now to fathers. And he says to them, do not exasperate your children. So there is this warning here to dads 
Don't exasperate your children. Don't bring them to the place through, through your harshness or through your mistreatment of them, causing them to be resentful or bitter or exasperated or upset, that they are to be understood in terms of those whom God loves, and you should love them and be tender with them and gracious to them, even in the way that we discipline as moms and dads. We are not to exasperate our children. Now, this is actually revolutionary thinking in first century Rome, because in the Roman Empire, parents had absolute authority over their children, including life and death. Under the Roman Empire, it was, in Latin, it was called patria potestas. Patria potestas, it meant parental power, that a mom and dad had the rights over their child exclusively, even if they thought their child warranted death. Paul comes in and he says, all right, now Christians, I don't really care what the Roman Empire is saying. You don't have absolute authority over your children. God does. And as part of respecting their lives, you are to honor them and cherish them and love them and nurture them and care for them. You do not have absolute authority over them in terms of life and death. All children are on loan from God. Do we get that? And as a result, we need to honor God's precious gifts. We've talked about this on Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago when we were in the book of Psalms. We're talking about, you know, how children are a blessing from the Lord. They are a heritage. They are a reward from God. So we need to make sure that even as parents, we're not doing anything to provoke our children, that even in the way we discipline them, we are to do it in a loving way, we are to do it in a tender way, we are to do it in a godly way, because our ultimate responsibility, he adds there after he says, do not exasperate your children, he says, instead, is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The training and instruction of the Lord. Your primary responsibility as parents is to instruct your children and to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. Do not leave that as the primary responsibility to the church. Now, I know we have some wonderful Sunday school teachers who are back there even now teaching your children, but they are not the primary people responsible for raising your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is yours as parents. Now, I don't know what form that looks like, But in your home, you need to take time to read scripture with your kids, pray with your kids. Now, credit to my wife, because she really took the initiative at our dinner time when our kids were younger and still live in her home, now all our kids are gone, to get out a Bible and for us to read and for us to pray together. She even had little cards to memorize scripture verses, and it was just a wonderful thing. I mean, like, you know, I, I get paid for this, so, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in doing any of that at home. <laughs> so, so, Terry, it's all yours, you know, go ahead. No, I, I wasn't that cavalier about it. I took it seriously, too, but I just loved the way that she wanted to take the initiative to have family devotions. So I'm like, all right, I'm all for it, but if we want to go for it, I'll support it. And so that was, our dinner table became a time when we would have regular just reading a scripture and praying. And, you know, when the kids are really little, you know, you can't get too deep and you can't go too long because their attention span is like this, you know, but you can do enough to impart scripture and to plant seeds into their heart and sing some songs together, and just make it a fun time, and instill in your kids the instruction of God's Word, and do what you can to help bring them up in the ways and the instruction of the Lord. And find what works for your family. 
And I don't want to be legalistic about it. And I'm not trying to throw a legalistic trip on anybody. Like it has to be every day and you have to do this and you have to do that. But it should be with some regularity. It should be with some consistency. It should be instilling in your children the truth of God's word and the relationship of Jesus and loving them and making sure that even in the way you discipline them, you are not harsh, you are not abrasive, you are certainly not in any way beating them or harming them physically, but you are loving them, nurturing them, honoring them, respecting them as lives on loan from God. So it goes both ways here. Again, chapter 521 was submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's children submitting to their parents, honoring and obeying them. It is parents In this sense, submitting to your children in the sense of like never exasperating, honoring them, loving them, nurturing them in the ways of the Lord, not just this absolute authority like in the Roman Empire. So Paul, this is revolutionary stuff in Paul's day that he's challenging fathers in particular. And, you know, I know some of you are in homes where you're a single parent trying to raise kids and you're doing double duty as mom and dad. And God bless you for doing that because it's even more difficult when you're doing it alone. And so there's a special blessing, I'm sure, for you for trying to be mom and dad. But if there is a home where there's mom and dad, and dad is saved, assuming dad's a believer, dad should be the primary one to make sure that there is some spiritual influence happening in your home. Again, you know, my wife loved to take initiative at the dinner table, and that's great. But it was ultimately on me to make sure that something happened in our home in relation to the spiritual growth and nurturing of our children. So it's shared, but the dads are called out here in verse 4 as being the ones to make sure that that is happening in your home. Now into verse 5 through uh, 9, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free, and masters... Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So we come to this passage here that where Paul addresses slaves and masters. And, and I'm going to address what might be a question to uh, some of you or even many of you. And before we even kind of dissect this passage a little bit, and that is the, the question that, that stumps many people, which is, you know, why is it that the Bible doesn't seem to speak out forcefully against slavery? Why is it that there's not a whole lot of scripture verses which overtly condemn slavery? It's almost like Paul is just writing here, like this is a normal and natural thing, and that he's giving instructions in in regards to slavery and, and those who are masters over slaves, that it seems uncomfortable, doesn't it, when you're reading this? So let me just address that for a moment before we dissect the passage here. First of all, in first century Rome, there were millions of people who were slaves, And it was part of the condition of the Roman Empire. I'm not saying it was a good thing. It was a terrible thing. It's a wicked thing. Slavery, whenever there's anybody who's enslaved to another human being, it's it's a wicked and evil and sinful thing. I'm just pointing out the fact that it was a very common thing in the Roman Empire. A lot of times because of the stain on our own American history, we immediately associate slavery as a racial issue. But in Roman Empire days, it was not really the enslaving of different races. It was oftentimes the enslaving of your own people. 
It wasn't primarily a racial matter. It was a matter of people who owned others as either slaves who were voluntary or involuntary, and King James refers to them sometimes as bond servants. It's the Greek word doulos. And so it's difficult sometimes to know in certain contexts during the Roman Empire, there were some who were slaves by choice, and there were some who were slaves involuntarily. They were taken captive as part of the spoils of war or whatever the case might be. Sometimes you sold yourself as an indentured servant because you couldn't pay your bills, and so then you sold yourself, received money to work for someone to be able to pay off your bills until such time you could raise enough money in the course of working for someone to buy back your freedom. It was a very complex issue, but I want to make it clear that the Bible never condones slavery, although there's not a lot of verses about it. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 is one example where Paul in his letter to Timothy clearly talks about slave traders being evil, and he lumps them in a category like murderers, and perverts and like adulterers. Those are words he uses in First Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 10, he, he lumps slave traders in with it. We also see in, in Scripture that in Galatians 3.28, that Paul makes it clear that there is neither uh, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ. And that verse alone in Galatians 3.28 elevates everybody as having equal status before God. So when you look at this, then it becomes like, well, why doesn't he speak out against how wrong it is? Even though there aren't a lot of verses, there's another verse in the, in the book of Exodus that talks about you, you shall never enslave another person lest you be stoned to death. It was a capital offense. But even though there's not a lot of scripture that overtly condemns slavery, let me tell you how Christianity covertly overthrew slavery. When Christianity began to creep through the world, it was the undoing of slavery in the Roman Empire. Now, you can do fact-checked on this, but the reality is that when Christianity started overtaking the Roman Empire, it was what led in part to not only the collapse of the Roman Empire in general, but to the dissolution of slavery overall. Because what happens is, when you are recognizing that the slave is your brother, it's pretty hard to mistreat him or her. And what would happen in first century Rome is that you'd have masters and slaves going to the same church. And in some cases, you'd have slaves who were elders of a church having authority over their masters in that local church. And what happened was it created an awareness that there is no difference before God. And so it leveled the playing field in terms of mutual respect and love and appreciation for each other. And it ended up contributing to the demise of slavery throughout the Roman Empire because the church began to live out their faith in demonstration that one person is not better than another. So even though you can't find scripture, a whole lot of it that overtly condemns it, you can see Christianity in history that covertly began to dissolve slavery because of the equality of men and women and slave and free and Jew and Greek before God. In our more recent history, look, the problem of slavery ended up being addressed and ultimately dissolved again through Christian influence. When it first started in the 1700s in Great Britain with a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, a parliamentarian in Great Britain's parliament, he was the one, as a Christian, who was outspoken against this as a vile and an evil sin and an offense against God. In fact, William Wilberforce said, quote, a private faith 
that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all, end quote. And it was largely due to his influence when slavery was outlawed throughout Great Britain, and then America followed slowly after that, again, because of the same Christian influence. So, Understand that even though he's writing here and he doesn't use strong language to condemn it, he's not condoning it. What he's writing about is, okay, this is the reality for the moment in the Roman Empire. How are you to make the best of an unfortunate situation? And in modern application, we need to see this, again, not to try to diminish the horror of slavery, but it would be good for us to see this in terms of employees and employers. How can we apply this in modern terms? Because again, some slaves were indentured servants and that they were actually hired and they were actually paid and they actually were cared for. So in that sense, we're going to capture that part of it. And we're going to understand this passage in terms of employees and employers. Because here's another situation you're going to find yourself in, just like you might find yourself in the situation of being a wife or a husband, a child or a parent. Now, how are we to submit in terms of the working environment? And when he speaks here about slaves or employees, you are to obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Again, this is as unto the Lord. If you are being asked on the job to do something that is unethical or unbiblical, you do not have to do what your boss says. It might cost you your job. You know, there have been plenty of whistleblowers who have lost their job. And in some ways, whistleblowers are now more protected by law. But this is that reminder to us that your ultimate boss is Jesus, okay? Now, you are honoring Jesus by honoring your boss or your manager, but it is ultimately unto the Lord, and it shows itself in the way that we honor those who are in positions of authority over us. And so that's the takeaway from this passage. And it's not only speaking to employees, it speaks to employers in verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves, or employers, treat your employees in the same way. Like unto the Lord. How would you be treating the Lord here? Do not threaten them, since you know that he was both their master, Jesus, and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So treat one another with respect and with honor. You won't always like what you're being asked to do. But the only time we get to object is if it clearly violates conscience based on Scripture. Otherwise, sometimes we bite our tongues and we we do things just because we are in a position of respecting authority, even though we may not always agree with that authority. And so we do our job and we do it because we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're going to talk about this next section here where Paul goes into this aspect of what has commonly been referred to as spiritual warfare. So I'm going to read verse 10 down through verse 20, and then we'll come back and kind of pick this apart. Verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. 
Pray also for me. Whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Because remember, he was writing this letter as a prisoner in Rome. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. All right, so this is number 18 on our list for those of you taking notes. He tells us that the new life stands strong in the Lord and in his mighty power against the spiritual forces of evil that attack us. The first little subpoint is our strength is in the Lord. And I want to emphasize that because he begins this section in verse 10 saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, why is this important to point out? Because, listen, the moment you think that you have the power to fight spiritual forces of evil is the moment you're going to be defeated, okay? The only strength and the only power we have is in the Lord. And I know people, and they scare me. I know Christians who are like, I'm going on spiritual warfare. I'm going on the attack. I'm like, no. First of all, why are you looking for it? Look, you're already in the battle, all right? You don't have to go, you know, lifting up rocks, finding more demons to rebuke. Stop that. This is in the strength of the Lord. This is not in my strength. In Jude verse 9, it's a very peculiar verse in Jude verse 9 that gives us a little insight into what happened around the death of Moses. Around the death of Moses, it talks about how God buried Moses and that nobody really saw And in Jude verse 9, it says that Michael, the archangel, dared not dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. Apparently, there was a struggle going on. I don't know what that really means, except that it sounds like Satan wanted to dig up Moses' body. But apparently, there was this battle over over Moses' body. And in Jude 9, it says that Michael, the archangel, dared not to dispute with Satan over the body of Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So even the archangel Michael is invoking the name of the Lord because even the archangel Michael knew in his own power, pretty powerful angel, but in his own power, he's not going to fight the enemy. He's going to let the Lord fight the enemy. And we need to understand the same. I get it. We're like, well, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Yeah, I get that. But we have to be very, very careful that this is not a battle that we should be fighting in our own strength. This is the Lord's battle. He fights for us, and we are to stand in his strength and in his power. All right, that's the first thing to point out. The other thing to point out here is that apparently from this passage, there are ranks among the demonic principalities. You read almost any Bible commentary, and it is believed that in verse 12, when Paul speaks here about using different terms, rulers authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that he is speaking about ranks. So apparently in the demonic unseen realm, there are rankings almost like in the military. I mean, there are some corporals and and there are some lieutenants, there's some generals, and and then the five-star is Satan himself, that there's some matter of ranking. Now, I don't know that that really makes a whole lot of difference as far as you and I are concerned, because... Even if a private comes up against you, that's one too many, right? But it's just still an understanding that there's some kind of a ranking in this fallen realm of these fallen angelic beings. And I want you to also notice, he says there in verse, um, at the beginning of that verse, in verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And the reason that I think that's also noteworthy is because sometimes, now hear me on this, sometimes we confuse what is actually a spiritual battle with a problem that we have with someone else. 
and we think that the conflict we have with someone else is just between the two of us, when in reality, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, and I think sometimes more often than we think, it's actually brought on by demonic things, and we are just playing into their hands. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share from Ephesians next time. But right now, we'd like to tell you how you can continue studying God's Word on your own. Did you know that you can learn from the Bible? You don't need a degree or years of study to understand what God has to say. Just open up the Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and heart to the message printed there. If you'd like some additional resources to help with your personal time studying the Bible, we've compiled a list for you on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Just search under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to listen to more of Pastor Gary's messages in Ephesians or in the other books of the Bible he's explored. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take Cornerstone Connection anywhere with the mobile app to listen to commentary on the Word. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us at Cornerstone Chapel to spend time in fellowship, worship, and studying Scripture together. Your presence is most welcome. Find out more at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you'll tune in again for our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is enough, and jump in and you'll find the cornerstones your connection run towards your new. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.